Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to a very special podcast looking ahead to Loki Season 2, which debuts tomorrow, that's Friday, October 6th, on Disney+. It is, of course, the first MCU TV show to get a second season. If you don't count Daredevil, or The Punisher, or Jessica Jones, or Iron Fist, or Agent Carter, or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Luke Cage, or... Okay, anyway... <clears throat> It is the first MCU TV show to get a second season on Disney+, and it continues the mind-bending, time-twisting adventures of Tom Hiddleston's seemingly reformed god of mischief, Loki, who, last we saw him in the first season, had found himself stranded back at the headquarters of the TVA, the Time Variance Authority, and confronted with friends, including Owen Wilson's Mobius and Wimmy Masako's B-15, who seemed to have no idea who he was. Owen oh, Kang, or He Who Remains, had been revealed as the big bad behind the TVA, only for Loki's female variant, who he was having a big crush on, Sylvie, to kill He Who Remains, unleashing the multiverse, which we then saw in Spider-Man No Way Home and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Confused? Yes, you probably are. I am too, but Loki season one was a delight. It was weird and wacky and witty in all the right places, with a great central turn from Hiddleston at its core. Now, for season two, head writer Michael Waldron and director Kate Heron have moved on to another part of the sacred timeline, but things are moving on without them. Now, I've seen four episodes of season two so far. It's a six-episode season. And what you're going to hear is two interviews with Kevin R. Wright, who is the show's executive producer and someone who is very much helping to chart its creative course, and Dan DeLue, who has long been one of Marvel's top guys in the visual effects realm, and more recently, a second unit director on some of their films. And he makes a step up to directing first unit on the second episode of this season. Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead are the lead directors. But just like Liverpool FC used to do with their legendary boot room, Marvel are beginning to promote from within and have also elevated production designer Kazra Farahani to the director's chair. But Kazra also pulls production design duties as well, and we talk a lot about that, because this show looks beautiful. Now, these are preview interviews. We don't go into spoilers for the four episodes. We do mention certain things that have been glimpsed in the trailer, but we don't go into specifics. That said... You might want to wait until you've seen episode two next Friday, October 13th, ooh, before coming back and having a listen to the Dan DeLue interview. But first up, here is Kevin R. Wright talking about the direction that they decided to take in season two, Loki's journey, the show's unique approach to shooting. And we also talk a little bit about the Jonathan Majors situation following his arrest on assault charges in March. He plays He Who Remains, and in this season, he plays a Kang variant called Victor Timely, and how that affected or didn't affect the show. Here we go. We're delighted to be joined in this Loki Season 2 preview podcast by the show's executive producer, Kevin Wright. How are you, sir? I'm really well. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, there's a lot to dig into. we got to obviously tiptoe around. I've seen four episodes. I am fascinated by just how the season came to be. Now, I've read other interviews with you where you say that you and Tom started talking about a season two, a possible season two, while you were shooting season one. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, I mean, we we knew it was happening. It, it wasn't like a, a possibility. It was like it was happening. We were we were shooting, and, but it was around the midway 
point, we, we really seriously started talking about what we thought that could be. Uh, a lot of it was walking around the back lot because we kind of, you know, it wasn't out yet, but we felt really good about what season one was. We were like, we think we got something special here. And so the season two talks already had started at, well, how do we not just do this again? <laughs> like, how do we, how do we, how do we level up from, from this? And because it was a, it was a uh, really kind of beautiful shoot. I think it was a, like, I think Kate had kind of formed this really great team. It was really high spirits. Uh, I think coming out of COVID, I, it, like everyone really had bonded and felt like they kind of were throwing themselves into this project. Um, and so season two was like a, a trying to find the right framework. Like if we're coming back, we can't just do the same thing. It, it wouldn't make sense. Um, and finding a way to continue the story while being unexpected, I think was the big takeaway was like, once the show came out and we saw how fans responded to it, it was like, Oh, this is it. It's like that this show goes to unexpected places, uh, not just literally, but emotionally with what we're doing with the character. And it gave us a steering point to just dive deeper into this world, deeper into these characters and kind of like put it in a pressure cooker to really test what these characters uh, stand for. It's interesting because uh, again, we can't talk about it too much, but uh, it, it, I think it's fair to say that there is a decrease in the emphasis on variants, shall we say uh, in this season. So, you know, for example, we haven't seen you, you might episode five might be entirely about alligator Loki. Uh, we, we, we don't know, but there, there isn't an alligator Loki so far. There isn't a Richard E. Grant Loki. There, you, you haven't gone into that well again. Well, and look, those were fun tools, but tools nonetheless to help Loki on his narrative arc in season one. Like he needed those mirrors of those variants in front of him to push him to evolve in that season. And this season, uh, there are, are a lot of variants. <laughs> the difference is the variants are our characters. They all know now that yeah. they are, are just purely versions of themselves that also exist on the timeline. And so every character now is in a similar turmoil to what Loki was going through in season one. And that felt like the place that was most interesting. We have such a beautiful ensemble already. Uh, and now we're adding uh, key obviously in, in, as OB, like there's such a great world there that it felt like there was so much drama to uh, dive into with the characters that are there. And there's more of an emphasis on, not that the timey-wimeyness of it wasn't important in the first place, but there is an, a, more of an emphasis on time travel and the TVA and how it works and the intricacies of how that works. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, and that was part of, look, I think we, we came up with a, a really clever and clear system of how time works in season one and then get all the way to the end and Sylvie blows it up and then we get into the writer's room and go, oh gosh, now we got we to gotta figure this out. Um I think the, so what we wanted to do was lean into the chaos of what she unleashes. If uh, what he who remains was doing for the universe was creating order, Sylvie has now created chaos and time is in chaos. Uh, and it felt like a really fun narrative device for us to use to kind of build uh, literally with the character of OB uh, in his name, Ouroboros, 
like a snake eating its own tail structure into this season just became exciting. Is that why Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead were obvious choices to, to come on board? Yeah. Like they, they, and they had been working on Moon Knight. We loved them. I had met with them early before Loki season one and was like, oh, got to find the right thing for these guys. And so for, for them to come in and kind of do great work in Moon Knight just laid the groundwork for them to come in here. But certainly, and but I think what they do really well is they take those ideas and they make them really watchable and enjoyable. Like they're, it's never homework with those guys. And I think that's what they were able to help unlock here was uh, intrigue, intrigue and simplicity, not, not homework and, <laughs> and uh, confusion. But they're good at baking people's noodles. So is that what you wanted with this season to bake people's noodles, to melt their melons? It's, uh, yeah. I mean, like we, we wanted, I think the fact that audiences went, a, went along with what we were doing in season one felt like we had the freedom then to really push it in season two. Yeah. And like, I, I personally, I, I love mind benders. They're like the, those movies where you're just hanging on by a thread and you're hanging on, but you're like, this is really engaging. They're great at that. You have moments in this season uh, where characters say things like, make it make sense, or, you know, <laughs> just try and keep or track of it. Don't worry, all- this will all make sense. <laughs> yeah, precisely. <laughs> those are, yes. Uh, you know, you have to be self-aware when you're making these things. And I think something, again, that the guys do and something that Eric's uh, scripts do really well yeah. is have a confidence to let the audience know we're going somewhere with this. We're not going to answer it all up front. But uh, but those little lines go a long way to go, don't worry. We're going to bring this all home. You know, we're going to tie this all together just so people aren't going, is this a, was this my, did I, did I just grab onto something that, that is going nowhere? Is this, is this going to drop? Like, no, it's like, so it's about reassuring the audience. This is all going to tie together. There's a plan here. <laughs> it's good. There's, there's a plan. That's good to know. It's good. It's good to know. Uh, episode five is just alligator Loki just explaining everything. That's, that's basically yeah, what it is. That, that might need to be its own series. <laughs> um, I want to delve back into how season one affected season two and how your decision that there would be a season two affected things. So the ending of season one, for example, when yep. you know when he who remains is 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 killed and Loki comes back to the TVA and finds that there there's statues of who we know to be Kang everywhere and everything's different and you know B fifteen and Mobius don't remember who he is. That's a hell of a corner to paint yourself into. <laughs> yeah. Did you know at the time how you were going to paint yourself out of it? We had some ideas, and this is—I think this is—it's always dangerous territory when you start talking about writers' room stuff because people can run with it and go, "Oh, they almost did this," and it's like, "Well, you walk down every path." Um, I would say this: going into that finale, we had a few paths that we said you could potentially solve that this way. You could solve it this way. You could solve it this way. They are more uh, logistic options emotionally we always knew where we wanted this season to go uh there were just a few different ways to get to those points i would say that's the that's the obtuse way of answering that question because with the mcu because it is such a huge ongoing concern you have to take care of 
your show, you have to take care of your characters, but you also have the bigger picture. So the bigger picture with Loki season one was He Who Remains and, and Kang. And there's an element of that as well in, in this season. Not to give too much away, but people know that Victor Timely shows up uh, at some point. So is that something that you have to keep an eye on as well? This is going to sound odd. Uh, no. I, there's something with, with I think, with our show that was really helpful. And we went, we just delivered six episodes of this storytelling, uh, almost six hours of multiverse timeline storytelling. And that going into a season two, our responsibility is to fulfill those stories. Uh, and again, like obviously, a big part of our story is was He Who Remains. It was uh, unleashing the multiverse. Multiversal war is coming. All of these threats that will drive the character conflict through season two. Um, that said, the, the the part that we have to keep an eye on is then as other filmmakers start utilizing some of that world, some of that tapestry seeing how they deal with it, make sure we're not doubling up, make sure we're not um, uh, uh, um, contradicting things that, that they do. Yeah. But at the end of the day, some of those things, it's maybe a, a two-hour feature here, a two-and-a-half-hour two, two and a half hour feature there. Uh, but we will have made almost 12 hours <laughs> of our story. So I think we always felt like we were the ones blazing that that trail and that and trying to make the rules as clear as possible and as exciting as possible so that others would pick it up and continue to build on this story. But there was a lot of freedom in that. As we mentioned, Victor Timely shows up in in this season, as was 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 hinted at by the uh, the post credit sting we saw uh, a, a short while ago, um, and obviously you know, the, the situation with Jonathan Majors is ongoing, and it is an ongoing court case. And I wouldn't ask you to comment on that, but the that situation, how do you react to that? How do you, how do, what conversations do you have about about that, and how people will perceive the show and his character? Yeah, I think I think. For us, obviously, we had shot our entire season um, before that, and we got into post-production and were really happy with the story that we told. Uh, I think I had said elsewhere, we had done zero additional photography, so very much what is on the screen is the story that we were excited by and and wanted to tell. And, uh, you know, I think for us... it's impossible to get away from uh, Victor Timely and, and, and he who remains and these characters being in our story because they're parts of season one. So I think it would be uh, doubly as odd for, for that to suddenly be uh, disappeared from this season. So I think we, we just went out and we told our story and, and we're, we're excited about that story. Uh, It's interesting what you say there about the, the fact that this is the first MCU show, first MCU film to have zero additional photography, which is, which is really interesting because that that is part of the process. That's part of that. That isn't the thing that started out as a as a means of fixing stuff. That was always built into the schedule by by Kevin and and his team, um, the other Kevin, <laughs> the K E V I N, and his team. <laughs> uh, and that was something that 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 became part of the Marvel approach to making things. Now, what's interesting about Loki. Uh, both seasons is that it seems to be not a rejection of that that method, but certainly you're setting out your stall to do it in a different way. There's a lot. It's a lot more tactile. There's a lot more practical sets. There's you know, obviously loads of visual effects, but there's there's less emphasis on that sort of thing. And I wondered as well if you were moving away from the reshoot, the additional photography model, 
because as great as that is, it can also mean that you don't have the pressure to get it right first time in the scripting phase, or you don't have the pressure to get it right on set. Yeah, I mean everything you just said. There, I think uh, when we went into streaming, obviously Loki was in that first batch with WandaVision, Falcon, Winter Soldier, and that was new for Marvel Studios. Like Marvel had had uh, long form and TV shows and shows on streaming, but this was Marvel Studios' first go at it. And going into Loki, I. I I, I like. I wanted to build sets. I like uh, production design, costume design, uh, cinematography are are things that you have to prioritize uh, to give something a unique look, a distinct look. And the films that uh, I love and that I know Waldron really loved, our our head writer from season one, and Kate when she came in, that she really loves, are often. Um, you know, small indie character driven, usually really uh, uh, people having to figure things out on a shoestring bu- budget so that they are tactile environments. And that was something, uh, one, it was just sort of came from a taste point of view, but also then uh, a practicality. We wanted it to feel cinematic and big. Uh, but and and I think our fans would expect it to feel cinematic and big uh, because of just what the movies were. And so we're, though, making six hours of, co- uh, of content, of storytelling in the same schedule as a feature. And so you have to start thinking how to produce these things nimbly. Uh, like you, you need to move quick. You're shooting a lot of pages every day. Um, and having practical sets, having real environments for your cast only helps them and only gives them more to work with. And that we're going back then into editorial and it's in camera and there's things there that that we're not waiting for VFX to go in. And it just allows you to shoot quickly and do things in a, in a, in a cool way. But you, sometimes you have to adjust the schedule so Casper can build these sets or so that Cas- or, uh, Christine can kind of build enough for our lamentous people in season season one or the World's Fair in, in season two. Uh, but it was exciting to us and, and I think has uh, revealed uh, just, look, it worked for 100 years of making movies. And I think there's a re-embrace of that a little bit of these are things that, that people have done for years and it helps us in production and it helps us make really good looking stuff. <laughs> I've only got a couple of minutes left, Kevin, but I, I want to ask about Loki himself. When someone has played a character like this as long as Tom has, I guess it's always difficult to find new variations to play. Season one, he was the Avengers Loki who was suddenly forced to confront himself and forced to confront all the evil that he had perpetrated over the years. Going into this season, can you talk about trying to lock down an arc for him, lock down a journey for him, lock down that story, really? Yeah, I mean, if, if season, we, we always kind of joke, the first 10 years of movies, it was about uh, uh, the glory. The first season was about trying to find his his purpose and i think this new season is about uh, uh about the burden of doing that that sometimes your 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 purpose is going to come with a lot of burden and that is something that also would test loki's character itself uh it is easy 
uh, to backslide. It is easy to re-embrace some of the the uh, darker elements for him, but to push him forward, he needs to be challenged. If he really wants to go down this path of doing the right thing, which could be seen as heroicism, you've got to challenge that. And I think that was the big idea for his arc this season was what uh, what does the best version of Loki even look like? And can this version of him get there? Especially when you have some characters, I mean, we haven't even mentioned Raphael Casal, whose who's, uh, X5 is one of my favorite additions to the show. And he has, you know, that 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 scene, I talked about this with Dan a little bit, but that scene where you can almost see him going, you're a, you're a villain, you're good at it, you should do that. And you can, you can sense little moments here or there where the God of Mischief just pops up and goes, I'm still here, I'm still here. Yeah, and it's and it and those offer fun moments like that, and I think it also is a it's a good reminder for the audience that this guy may be going down this path, but uh, you know, in the in the in the timeline of the MCU, this version is maybe only a week removed from trying to take over New York and <laughs> killing lots of people. Like, so it is helpful to go. What, can some can he be redeemed? And it's a question that we echo with the TBA. Like, can this corrupt place be redeemed? Um, I, I think you're seeing a lot of those echoes go through all of our characters. You talked in other interviews about how that promise that Loki makes to Thor in Infinity War, a promise he knows he can't keep, is on your mind as well, that the sun may shine on them both again. I think, you know, Tom was missed. I loved Love and Thunder, but Tom, Loki was missed, I think, from, from that dynamic. So is that something that you're, you're, you and Tom are, are thinking about? To earn something like that, you really have to build towards it. And look, I have no say over that if that happens. I, I, the, in the other interviews I've given, I've said, I, I, hope, I hope that happens. But it is something that we think about in that if this guy is going to evolve and he's going to change, uh, what would that look like when he sits down with Thor again, who has also evolved and changed quite a bit since this Loki has seen him? And it does, it's exciting and something I, I talked with Tom about, uh, there's a great Sam Shepard play called Ages of the Moon. And like, I think it would feel something like that. Like you want to see these two sit down and they have so much history, but they're very different people. And, um, but I think there would be great ease between the two of them. Yeah. Especially since the, the moments that, that, that Loki, he doesn't exist. The Loki who said the sun will shine on this again, brother, you know, he yeah. doesn't exist anymore. And there's been so much water under the bridge. It would be a fascinating conversation. Yeah. Yeah. But th- I think there would be a connection there for sure. That would be really interesting to see. Perhaps one day, perhaps one day. Uh, Kevin, going to let you go. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, man. Likewise. Thank you for the time. Thank you. Okay, that was Kevin R. Wright, and let's head straight into the Dan DeLue interview. Now, this is a little more focused on his journey at Marvel and how he works with the actors, including, of course, Tom Hiddleston. But there's some stuff in there which pertains to the episode, including a question about the McDonald's restaurant that plays a big role in the episode. Some of you may know that a major character ends up working there. We also talk about the pies that Owen Wilson's Morbius consumes throughout the episode and a new character played by Raphael Casal, who is known by two names in the show. I call him X5, but spoiler alert, he's the Brad that Dan DeLue refers to. So again, hopefully you should be able to go into this 
before the episode airs, but if you wanted to wait and come back in a week, I'm not stopping you. If you're still here, enjoy. Welcome to the Emperor Podcast, Dan DeLue. How are you, sir? Good. Thank you for having me. Congratulations on on directing episode two. This is has this been the culmination of a of a long journey for you? The last time I spoke to you was for Avengers Endgame in your capacity as visual effects grand poobah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's it's something I've definitely been working towards and something that I want to do. I think it's something that, you know, even from visual effects, you know, back in the day was, you know, working with, you know, pre-biz and helping design sequences and, mm. you know, helping design stories that way. And it's something that, you know, the Russo brothers were, I think it, part of their wisdom in terms of working on films that big were, you know, allowed everyone to contribute ideas, you know, so it became a, a contest between, you know, what we could do on pre-biz versus what, you know, stunt biz would do, you know, and it was yeah. like, well, we tried to outdo each other. And it was, you know, all, all friendly, friendly camaraderie and doing it, but it was definitely, you know, it's like, you know, let's beat that idea. Let's beat that idea. And so it was, it was you know, the best of both, best of both worlds. And, and so, you know, kind of that kind of helped me prepare, you know, and then the, and the Russos were very, you know, generous, you know, letting me kind of, you know, kind of come up with more ideas and then mm. second unit directing and then, you yeah. know, work Loki was definitely a place we wanted to go. Well, I'm intrigued by that as well, because a uh, second unit director on Endgame, did you direct that, or were you on set whenever that that, that when Tom shot his cameo? Essentially, was that something that Second Unit did, or was that the Russos? Well, it was it was addition, yeah, additional, yeah, it was additional photography on Endgame for Infinity War. It was you know they had shot Tom. I actually shot a double of Loki getting knocked out of the way by the Hulk. So that was <laughs> as close as I got to Tom on that on that. But you know, years later, now working with him. So, <laughs> uh, what was what was that experience like? Directing him, actually directing performances as well, which which must have been uh, an interesting thing for you. It, it was great. It was something that you know, it was you know, you had a very amazing cast and a very generous cast. You know, and, and chief of all that, you know, was was Tom, who was incredibly open, and you know, his knowledge of Loki and his mind for story and and how the character you know interacts in this world you know just sitting down and talking to him was invaluable you know and he'd kind of get you up to speed on on his thoughts for the character and you know the same for for a lot of the other characters you know we would kind of workshop the script and we'd all have a, a great experience you know you know working with the actors and so by the time you got to set you know you really had a great idea of what you know what would be you know an honest take on the characters you know what you know what you know what the, what they're saying is something that you know their characters would say and and it was something that you know you as you learn the different act you know the actor styles you kind of learn different ways in which to kind of make adjustments for them or give them direction you know and get kind yeah. of be- that best you know allowed them to you know kind of succeed in the scene and you know which you know they were amazing so you they didn't need much but it was you know it was a great experience yeah, that, that, that's something I've always been fascinated by when a, a director comes on to something where an actor has been playing a character for a very, very long time or an actor has a very ingrained performance style. Someone like Owen Wilson, for example, you know, has a very Owen Wilson approach to, to acting, I imagine. And how you can communicate and collaborate with that actor. Tom has been playing Loki now for <laughs> well over a decade. He knows mm-hmm. the character inside and out. So how can you as director, you know, can you as a director say... 
I think you should try it this way because I think Loki should say this. Yeah, I think it's yeah, with I think with any of the actors we had, I mean, you could you can go, but it's a discussion, right? It's it's something, and I think it's you know as as my style developed, it it was definitely something that was a a collaborative, you know, kind of conversation, right? Because you're you know you're 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 trying to you know you're more trying to kind of guide you know knowing what the scene needs to achieve and and making sure that all the actors are comfortable with the choices and and because that ultimately will it will will bring out the the best performance so with someone like tom you know we you know he definitely knows what loki would say but you know we would talk about you know kind of different types of energy you know in terms of you know you know is he is Loki more angry in this? You know, what what kind of anxiety level? You know, what you know level of sadness? And it was all these kind of small fine tuning adjustments that you know would run, run through the scene, but you know would make quite a bit of difference to the overall performance. And then you have uh, characters who are new to the show, so this is for a, pre- a preview piece. Uh, but what I will say is that uh, Raphael Casal plays a character who's new to the MCU, and he's a delight you know he's got this character who is he's got this kind of wild comedic energy but there's also something else going on with him as well uh, and mm-hmm. Kihi Kwan of course is is great as uh, Ouroboros so can you talk about working with those guys and, and kind of crafting these characters who are who are new to us yeah I think with Raphael it's, it's, it, was, it, it was interesting experience in the show because we you know as we talked about we you know we would workshop the script and it would be myself, Kazra, Justin, Aaron, the, all, all the directors. And we'd go through all the scripts, even episodes that weren't ours. We would all come together and then talk and just kind of get the kind of the big, you know, the big brains on everything. But the, the the actors were there as well. And so, you know, you're sitting in a room with with Tom, who's amazing and genius. And you got Owen, that's a writer. You got Raphael, that's a writer. Yeah. And you've got our writers. And so suddenly you've got this team that's like amazing. I mean, it's like this, this it's like an all-star team, you know, any, any the sports team, you would always want to, you know, your fantasy football draft would want to be all these people. And, and so you're, you know, you, as you, and you're all there developing, we're all just brainstorming, collaborating and like, you know, it's okay. Now we're talking about, you know, what, what Brad Wolf's feeling and what he thinks of the TVA. And it's like, well, Raphael, so he probably say something like this. And then someone would be like this. And then, so you're just, you're constantly making it better. And, and so, and Raphael had, you know, he was amazing that way. And it was just, you know, finding the, you know, the balance in his performance, as you said, between the, 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 the comedy of it, but then the seriousness of it too, in terms of, you know, him, you know, kind of going toe to toe, toe to toe with Loki kind of being one of the, you know, one of the, you know, heavies in the second season, but, you know, it's, it was, it was amazing working with him. He's a brilliant mind. And then Key, who is just like bottomless energy. You know, he, you know, walks on a set and the, the entire set just lifts, you know, in terms of his energy and, and kind of, you know, his, in, you know, his contribution to, you know, OB and, you know, kind of what he's feeling in the different scenes and how to play it and, and, you know, asking him to run up the stairs like eight times as we're working on a shot. It's like every single time, full speed up the stairs. But, you know, he was, you know, he was, he was great, you know, it was, and then it was like, you know, in addition to with, with Key is the, you know, kind of the fanboy nature of everybody on set, you know, if you kind of grew up with Temple of Doom or Goonies, you know, you're always, you know, that was always present in your mind in terms of what was, you know, what was going on on set. So. Very much so. Very much so. One of the things I think that's, that sets uh, Loki apart 
visually as well. And I'm uh, I, obviously there is, you know, a fair amount of visual effects. Uh, I imagine there's a fair amount of green screen as as well. But it feels very tactile. It feels like a lot of it is shot on real sets. Like Obi's workshop looks like an amazing set that you could just spend an afternoon in, just rooting around and. You know, there's a lot the the, the, the um the, the the McDonald's set that you guys are on here yeah. for quite a lot of the episode as well. It all feels very very real. Was that something that that you and and Justin and Aaron wanted, kind of continuing that aesthetic that that Kate established in season one? It's well, and then the common piece between the two was Kazra, right? So yeah, yeah, you had had built the sets in the in the in the first film, and it was. Yeah, you know, and you into this one, you know, you'd walk around in like the and you'd go to a set and you're like, you know, this this stream, you know, show for a streaming show, you know, this set is bigger, better. This set is better than what I've seen on feature films. I mean, it's like it's amazing the amount of detail he put into this. I mean, it's it's a set that was made to be on a you know fifty foot screen. It's like you know with all the detail in it, and it was something that ultimately would only help the actors, you know, so, you know, they can, you know, every switch on the wall works. So if they needed to go over and throw a switch and they could throw a switch and the light would come on. And, uh, and along the same lines, it helps in visual effects, right? Because now you have a set, you know, there's like, you know, the infinite nature of the TVA, you know, if you look a certain direction, you need to see the set repeated, Yeah. you know, but then that's, you know, 20, 30 feet away. And so you're, you know, putting it back then, but, you know, talking about OB's lab, I mean, that, you you had to work really hard to see off the set. I mean, there'd be a little crack where they might have to do a little set replacement on, but it had the roof, it had the wall. It was it was impressive. It was amazing. Can you tell me about that McDonald's uh, where you shot? Because you shot in London, but I presume did you did you build that or did you find a? It was find- it was outside of London, uh-huh. about fifty minutes outside of London, and it was a curry restaurant that I think it probably sat empty for about a year. And uh, we went out and scouted it. And, you know, Kazra's there and he's like, you know, the, the brilliance of Kazra walking you through what this will look like versus what you're seeing. And so it was something, it had the parking lot. We needed the parking lot. We needed the the field across the street so we could be in Oklahoma. And then, but what was unique to it, it had the uh, the windows on the front, had the, the kind of the curved windows, like the metal frame that curved down. And that was something that you saw a lot in the you know, early 80s with those McDonald's. So yeah, that was the the backbone, the foundation for the set. And and then working with McDonald's, then, you know, Casper got all the artwork for, you know, the the wallpaper and the designs for the seats and the and the molds for the hamburger and, and all that. So that's that was all recreated. I mean, the seats. They look like McDonald's, but they were de- definitely movie seats. You didn't want to, you didn't want to sit in them too long, you know, in case they broke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let, let's talk as best we can because again, this is a, a preview piece about about Loki and Loki's arc in this mm-hmm. season, and what conversations you had with with Eric Martin, who's the head writer now, and you know, with Justin and Aaron, who are. Um, I, I, I guess the lead directors is, is what you would. Yeah, they were executive as. producers as well, so yeah. they kind of were were brought and they kind of set the the kind of the, the you know the 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 look of the of the the season, you know, kind of, kind of honoring what Kate had done on the first season, and kind of you know taking it more into the world of the kind of a thriller. There's know. a lot of handheld going on. I noticed. Yeah, a lot of handheld, a lot of handheld. You know, kind of. You know, defining, you know, helping define the energy of the scene, you know, and, you know, kind of corresponds to the, the, the fear and the anxiety, 
going on, you know, the camera would get more, more or less active depending on how much that was happening. And uh, and going back then to the idea of Loki and establishing what he's what his journey is in this season. There's a there's a a scene. I think we could probably talk around it. Uh, there's a scene in episode two. It's in the trailer, uh, or it's referenced in the trailer at least, where you have X five, who's who's Raphael's character, who kind of challenges Loki a little bit and. Loki has been kind of reimagined. This is the Loki of the first Avengers. You know, that's this, you know, it's, it's easy to forget that. This is the guy who is the god of mischief. Uh, but he's kind of found this inner heroism in his time at the TVA and his exposure to Sylvie and his exposure to Mobius. But there's a there's still a sense that this is that guy. And there's a really interesting conversation where where X5 kind of says you know, cut the crap, guy. You're 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 a bad guy, and you're good at it. Uh, and you can kind of see there's a bit of inner turmoil going on with 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 Tom and with Loki. That he's ignoring his true calling. Is is that what you guys see as his main arc this season? Yeah, I think he's. I mean, it. it, it you know, it's kind of bridging off of what happened in season one, where you know Loki comes in. You know, he said he's basically Loki from Avengers, and you know he's not. You know, he's not acknowledged in the way he was outside the TVA. You know, he's just another, you know, criminal, time criminal, basically, right? So he's, you know, he went, you know, he, he came into it, you know, not, you know, at kind of thinking, you know, he's basically, it's his his personality, right? It's through the first season, he starts to understand that, you know, I, I always imagined that he always knew he was doing bad things, but he didn't really... <laughs> care about the consequences <laughs> and now suddenly you know mobius being mobius you know leaves the gets him in the time theater he sees frigga and now he starts questioning you know and now he's like wow what what does this mean you know what do people think about me and what what i think about myself right and that's kind of the catalyst in the first season that now carries it into the second so you've got uh a loki that i think is more introspective probably you know he was held back from his powers. You know, Mobius was constantly on him, you know, can't, you know, don't use your magic, don't do this, don't do that. And it's something that, you know, Loki in some ways maybe left behind because of what he's maybe saw some of the consequences of his actions were. And I think as he starts to getting into this next season, I think he's trying, he's starting to reconcile that. I think he's trying to reconcile who he is. Is he, is he this purely, non-god of mischief, you know, non-magic user from the end of season one. And then, you know, who is he in season two? And you're kind of seeing that, you know, just because some of the powers you may have have been perceived as bad in the, you know, previous times, you know, maybe not so much. Maybe that's a part of me and I can reconcile that and kind of use that. And again, that's that's something you get to play with visually. Um, there's a there's a really fun sequence that, that starts the episode um, in which Loki shall we say, isn't in the TVA, so he can use his powers. And mm -hmm. you, you get to play with some of the iconography of Loki in a really interesting way. And, and again, we've, we've seen it in the trailer where there's multiple multiple Hiddlestons. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and that must have been fun for you to, to play with. Yeah, it was great. It was one of those things that wasn't in the script originally. And it was something that, you know, I was looking for an opportunity to kind of take Loki there, right? Where it was, you know, it was more... It was just more of a straightforward chase through London. And it was something that's like, well, how can we, you know, tie this back to what we, you know, did in season one? You know, what what kind of, you know, what can we leverage off of that? And, and it started as a, 
you know, just a chase that, you know, then Brad Wolf would use the time turner and rewind himself to get away from Loki, you know, thinking he was the, you know, smarter than Loki. And then it was like, okay, well, what can Loki, you know, do? And it was just one of those things that it was just, you know, one of those epiphany moments that, you know, it's kind of popped into your head. It's like, well, you know, what, let's, you know, what's happening so we get these shadows, you know, that kind of come in and, you know, draw the horns and, you know, we haven't, you know, hadn't seen the horns in a while. So it was kind of like, oh, it's, it's Loki. Right. And, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and how, and how he would really do that, you know, what, what would Loki be in terms of, you know, playing, you know, being tricked, right. You know, so Loki's more of a good guy now, but Tom, you know, or sorry, Brad, kind of tricked him and humiliated him a little bit, you know, and then what would be the consequences of that from Loki? And they wouldn't just be, you know, something like I got you now, it would be something like I'm going to, you know, kind of trick you just as badly as you tricked me. That's what I'm intrigued by. I mean, you, we get to see those little hints of Loki, the Loki of old, <laughs> beginning to peek through every now and again. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not saying he's going to go full Bruce Banner and, and you know, and Loki out, but, <laughs> but <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's a possibility. It's a possibility. I've got you to go in a second, Dan, but it's just two, two real quick last questions. This is a, a big pie episode. A big pie episode for pie for, for, for <laughs> Owen Wilson in particular, who gets to eat all the key lime pie uh, in the world, and then he has an apple pie later on. Was that was that a deliberate thing? Is that the, the pie motif? Is that a Twin Peaks it nod? Was, I think it worked out that way. I think the uh, the automat, you know, it was a function. You know, the, the, the they kind of informed themselves, right? So the automat, you know, we all know that you can get all kinds of food in an automat, but you know, since it's a TVA and them trying to give a, a place for the workers to hang out and, you know, kind of relax from the day, daily grind of the TVA. All you get is key lime pie. You know, this is kind of a function of the TVA and, and Mobius worked there forever. So of course he loves key lime pie, you know, the apple pie, uh, line dialogue came from, uh, just people that had gone to McDonald's that love the, <laughs> love the apple pie. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, and then the last thing is, you have a you have a cameo of sorts. There's a there's a big action scene towards the end. I do. It was uh, it was something when we were we were scouting and uh, Kazra, you know, it was a big space, so Kazra was looking, you know, for a way to get you know shapes that would help fill the space. And he's like, "Oh, we could put a big sign with your name on it." I'm like, "Oh, you put a sign there, just don't make it too big." That we showed up on the day of shoot. I'm like, mm, okay, that's that's really big. <laughs> uh, big Dan, it's about the size of a of a truck. It's about the size of a truck. Well, it's a very large space, and and <laughs> it was where Casra made a giant sign. Yeah. All right. So the sign says "Deluan Sons." By the way, in case people are keep, keep an eye out for it, but I say keep an eye out, but you won't miss it because it's you won't huge. Miss it. big and it's yellow. <laughs> I couldn't put enough time doors in front of it to kind of hide it. So, <laughs> so there it is. <laughs> All right. Fantastic stuff, uh, Dan Delu. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. And that was Dan DeLue, and that is it for this Loki Season 2 preview special. We will be doing weekly spoiler specials for the show, which we hope to have up every Friday, which is when the show will drop its weekly episodes. So the first should be up tomorrow, Friday, October 6th. And there is a lot to get into with this season, believe me. So if you want to listen to those, sign up for our spoiler special podcasts, if you haven't already, at empire.supportingcast.com. FM. It's just $2.99 a month or $32.99 a year. Can't say fairer than that. And what else are you going to spend your money on? An apple pie from McDonald's? Ooh, that's a good idea. Right, that's enough for me. I'm off to have a slice of apple pie from Mackey D's. And they say product placement doesn't work.
Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye.